Really good uh, to see you this morning. So thankful uh, for you being here at Treasuring Christ. As Chris mentioned, if this is your first time or or second time with us and you haven't filled out a Connect card, we would love for you to do that and uh, drop it in the giving box on your way out or or hand it off to me at the back at our our guest table. Uh, We have a little packet back there that we would love to pass off to you. One thing I would just encourage you um, as a guest, we'd love uh, for you to stick around for a few weeks. We, we call it Stick for Six. Uh, come and worship with us for six weeks. Give us a chance to get to know you and for you to get to know us and enjoy uh, what God is doing and potentially join in in the work that God is doing here at Treasuring Christ. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> Have you ever noticed that people can be judgmental? You ever had that, that observation? Or perhaps that accusation uh, lodged at you. <clears throat> I don't want to lack self-awareness when I say that people can be judgmental. We are in church and uh, Christians uh, have their fair uh, share and reputation of being judgmental. So uh, we don't want to call uh, the pot, call the kettle black. We want to own our own judgmentalism. But if we're honest, being judgmental is a universal problem. Uh, so... Uh, the more religious and conservative people pass judgment quickly on those they perceive not to believe or live like they do. But the more irreligious and the progressive people, note this, also pass quickly, pass judgment quickly on those they perceive not to believe or live like they do. Both people, both groups do the same thing. The, the more religious and conservative type uh, can be tempted to say, I'm so glad I'm not like those people who don't share my values or believe like I do. The more irreligious and progressive people can think to themselves, I'm so glad I'm not like those people who think that they're better than other people. Perhaps the the most obvious and yet not so obvious thing about judgmentalism is that we can be blind to it, right? We can be blind to it in our own lives and not see it. But it's a serious problem, so serious that, that Jesus speaks strongly on it. Judge not, verse 1 says, that you be not judged. When we think about judgmentalism, I want to propose to you that we actually have two problems that are at play when it comes to judgmentalism. Uh, The first is that we often resist truth, especially when it cuts against the grain of cultural opinion or when it is applied to our lives. So our first problem, when we think about judgmentalism, just on the whole, we resist truth, especially when it's applied to us or it goes against the grain in our culture. The second thing is, Opinion and preference are all too quickly elevated to our standard of truth. And so those those two things happen. We resist truth and then we elevate to truth our opinion and our preference. And we allow that opinion or preference to sit as judge and jury over other people. So what does Jesus have to say about judgmentalism? How can we not be judgmental? Uh, In many ways, as we've walked through the Sermon on the Mount... We've seen Jesus time and time again address the heart. So when we talk about not being judgmental, we know that it's not simply a matter of just stopping being judgmental, right? I think sometimes when we look at areas in our life that don't live up to to God's word, we we look at sin in our lives. Uh, The tactic that we take to address our sin is, is this, stop it. Right. Like that's the that's the tactic. The old SNL skit. Some of you might be thinking of just stop it, you know, like just stop it. And, and we, that's what we tell ourselves. And sometimes we tell other people that are doing silly or, or sinful things. We're like, just stop it. Right. Well, how's that worked out for you? You know, when when you really just 
force yourself to, to say, stop it. Stop doing that again. It often doesn't because it's always a matter of the heart. True Christianity is never merely about ex- conforming to external standards. True Christianity is about wholehearted allegiance and devotion to Jesus. And when you're wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus, your life cannot stay the same. It changes us. It may not all happen at once. It certainly won't happen overnight. But we can't stay the same. We won't stay the same. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been making clear that the kingdom of God begins when we put our trust and our allegiance in Jesus. And while the Christian life must ultimately begin with a vertical relationship, our relationship with God, here's the thing that that is so uh, so often lacking in our own lives, and mine included, while our relationship with God, our relationship with Christ begins with this vertical relationship, that vertical relationship can never stay the same. It must work itself out into the horizontal dimension of our life, into our relationships. Our faith must be put to work in how we relate to others. And in fact, how we relate to others says a lot about our relationship with God, for better or for worse. Those two things are fundamentally tied together. And that's what Jesus is going to show us in Matthew 7, 1 through 12. So I want us to to first look at verses 1 through 2. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So maybe up there with John 3, 16. uh, And if you were in Awana, you know, John... Um, was it 1335 or 1035? You know, Jesus wept. Um, uh, this, this verse may be the most uh, memorized and well-known verse for Christians and non-Christians alike. Judge not that you be not judged. It's often quoted and, and seldom understood, frankly, by, by those who profess Christ as well as those who don't. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, simply put, he says, judge not. So let's think about this for a minute, what it means to judge not. If we, if we rightly read the Bible, the best thing you can do when you read the Bible and you're trying to figure out what it means is to always think about it, what it means within the context that you see it. So when Jesus says judge not, let's, let's just think about the broader context of this passage. And the first thing we can say is that we know that it doesn't mean that we relinquish being able to call something wrong or right. Uh, in fact, if you look at verse, verses 13 and following, Jesus is going to clearly say there's a right path and there's a wrong path. There's a right path that leads to eternal life. There's a wrong path that leads to eternal judgment. So we know that it doesn't mean that we can't identify what's right or wrong. We also know if we look at verse 6 that it doesn't mean that we don't exercise judgment, that we don't use our critical thinking to be able to discern What is good and right? What is wise? To further complicate things, Jesus says in John 7, verse 24, uh, when, when talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, he says, Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. So judge not. But then in John 7, 24, judge not based on appearance, but judge with right judgment. See, I don't think that Jesus is saying that we, uh, we lose our ability to critically think or to discern what is right or wrong. There's a host of verses throughout the scriptures that call us to confront sin in one another, 
to hold one another accountable, and to speak up for what's right and true. I think the problem for us and how we understand the word judge is that we, we don't understand it in its fullest extent. To judge can mean to distinguish and to determine, as we've been talking about, which the Scriptures commend. We know that to judge can mean to make a legal decision, a determination, even to punish. But what Jesus is speaking about here is the condemning judgment, uh, even a hypocritical judgment. And context is what helps us understand this. So Jesus is talking about judgment in the negative sense, putting ourselves in the position of God and judging others quickly and harshly, often rooted in pride, with the aim to exclude and even in a hypocritical way, in a manner that doesn't acknowledge and address our own sin, our own falling short. So Jesus says, don't be judgmental. Don't judge with a quick and harsh judgment. Don't judge blinded by pride and aiming to exclude. Don't judge hypocritically, failing to address your own need. Don't be judgmental that you be not judged. You know, some, some look at the, the second half of verse 1. It says, judge not that you be not judged. Uh, so the typical thought here might be, you know, what goes around comes around. Uh, you ever met, met a judgmental, you know, person, a real critical person and and there's just poetic justice when somebody gives it back to them, right? Um, I think that's certainly a true maxim in life. You know, if you want to be a jerk to people, uh, get ready for people probably to treat you like a jerk at some point, right? Like that's just good standard advice, you know, for free uh, this morning for you. Don't be a jerk. Um, <clears throat> but I think Jesus is actually making a stronger point. Uh, any, anytime we see this type of language of you will be judged throughout the scriptures, it's, it's talking about divine Judgment, God's judgment. I think what Jesus is saying here is that there is a future judgment. Listen, listen to how James 5, 9 says the same point. <clears throat> Do not grumble against one another. It's a similar concept here uh, of Jesus says, judge not others. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you be not judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You see, Jesus reminds us and cautions us that God is the rightful judge. We are not to sit as judge over others, but God is judge. And to God, all must give an account according to what Jesus says. So would we want God to treat us on the basis that we treat others? Would we desire for God to show us as little mercy that we show to others? I think the answer is no. If you receive God's mercy, it changes you. Your judgmentalism if persisted in with pride and unbelief, will make us guilty before God on the day of judgment. <clears throat> How we treat others says a lot about our relationship with God. If you're a believer, let me encourage you in understanding that, that all of us address sin in our lives. It's the regular ongoing pattern of the Christian life. Uh, if, if, if perhaps we feel the tinge of conviction when we think about this topic, which I know I have, the good news is that God's grace is readily available to us in Christ. And He desires to change us and to make us new. But I want you to think about the reality of God as judge. On that day, no other thing will matter but what we are able to give an account, how we give an account to God. What will we say on that day? And the most pressing thing that any of us can answer is, do we know Jesus? 
Listen to what Jesus said in John 12, 44 through 48. Jesus <clears throat> cries out to the, to the crowd and, and to those around him. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me, the Father. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. See, Jesus is talking about what he came to accomplish in his first coming. We're about to celebrate Advent, the, the coming of Christ at Christmas. When, when Christ came the first time, he came to save by laying down his life as a sacrifice for our sin. The gospel is this, Jesus in my place, condemned he stood, bearing the full judgment of God against my sin. So that if I would turn from my sin and trust in him, I would find forgiveness and salvation, a restored relationship with God. That's what Jesus came to do in his first coming. But the Bible says one day when he comes again, he will come as the rightful judge over all. And to him, all must give an account. Jesus says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Judgment will come and God is the judge. And the most pressing question for any person in this room or in this world is, do you know Jesus? Do you know that you're not all right? That you can't get right with God on your own. The Bible calls it sin. We've all gone our own way and sin separates us from him. But that good news is that Jesus came, stood condemned in our place that we might have forgiveness and new life in him. And the Bible says that anyone who had turned from their sin and trust in him will be saved. Simply by calling out to him. It might look like praying like this. Father, forgive me for I know I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you, but I believe that you provided Jesus for my salvation. And I trust in him. Come into my life and change me. We must always remember that God is the judge. And listen, if we remember that God is the judge, it means two things. That God's word is the standard of judgment and God's character is how we judge, is the standard of how we judge. So Jesus is saying, don't be judgmental, but judge carefully, remembering that God is judge. With the word of God as the standard of our judgment and the character of God, the standard of how we judge. So Jesus says, be not judgmental, but judge carefully. He you know, unfolds this starting in verse 3. He says, why do, you say, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, I think the most pressing thing we need when we think about how to judge carefully is that we need to judge with humility. To judge with a measure of self-examination before we seek to help another person. You see, in the kingdom of God, we are citizens, not the king. Jesus is the king and the judge. We are his citizens who should be marked by humility. 
And it's somewhat comical, the example that Jesus uses. A, a log in your eye, a massive log and a speck in your other's eye, in, in the other person's eye. And if you think about it, um, I mean, I don't know if you've gotten dust in your eye. I mean, you see what dust in somebody's eye. I mean, the, the, it might be the most you know, strong and uh, burly man who gets a speck of dust in their eye and they're on the ground, right? Like a, a little bit of dust in your eye could do a lot of damage. Just imagine what a plank in your eye can do. You know, Jesus is pressing uh, the comical nature, the hyperbole here to say, do you, do you see how at fault you are when you look at others with judgment and you don't even examine yourself. Take humility before you practice judgment. See, Jesus' words here, he's talking about, if you look at what he's saying, he's talking about helping your brother, helping your sister. So if you don't address the log that's in your own eye, you won't be of use to your brother or sister to help them take the speck out of their eye. The implication is that in judging, and, and whether it be a, a, a constructive criticism and addressing sin and a, a gentle accountability and, and helping another person, our aim would be to help. Our aim would be to assist, and to do so requires humility, to, to examine ourselves. We need a measure of humble self-evaluation. I heard a story, read a story as I was preparing for this about um, <clears throat> a young woman who was trying to uh, bring home uh, various uh, prospective husbands to her family. And um, <clears throat> she ended up bringing home a number of different guys that she met. And uh, every time when she would bring home a guy that she was interested in, her dad didn't care anything for the guy. Um, <clears throat> and, and so uh, this, this uh, girl was talking to one of her friends and he says, look. You just need to find somebody who's like your dad. Somebody who thinks like your dad, talks like your dad, you know, that your dad will get along with. Just find somebody like your dad, and then I'm sure it'll go well. And so she finally found someone that she felt was, I mean, just like her dad. would be, you know, you'd go great. Her dad would love this guy. <clears throat> and, um, and took him home, and everything went well. And later on, her friend asked her, so I had to go. And she said, <clears throat> it was awesome. My dad loved him. Uh, it was just like they were made for each other. Uh, the only problem is my mom hated him. Uh, you know, so uh, I'm just kidding. What's really funny, as I heard that story, I laughed because <clears throat> when Emily and I met, she was kind of nervous about bringing me home, which you guys can all imagine. And, um, <clears throat> and her friend was counseling her, a uh, wise, godly friend, and said something to the effect of, Emily, don't worry. You're not bringing motorcycle home Motorcycle Joe. You're bringing home Khaki Pants Michael. Like, there's, there's no... There's no problem with this guy. Your dad mows the yard in khaki pants, you know? And uh, as I sit here in khaki pants today, my father-in-law's here in khaki pants as well. So uh, we are keeping uh, that alive. But right, we're, we're often blind in our self-evaluation. Quick to judge without evaluating ourselves, Unaware of our own faults and, and honestly unwilling to address our own faults. You see, if we fail to humbly self-evaluate, we'll be blind to our needs and the needs of others. If we fail to evaluate ourselves, we'll, we won't see the areas that need to be addressed in our hearts. Have you ever had somebody who's, who's tried to help you, but, but frankly, it comes across with this aura of pretense that somehow they think they know better? There's no, no sense of humility, no sense of, I know that I don't have this all together, I'm just trying to help. But just a, an adamant uh, belief that they have the right answers that you need. See, without, without humble self-evaluation, we're often of no help to others. In fact, we, we tend to hurt 
others when we don't evaluate ourselves. Jesus says, when you judge, judge carefully, judge with humility. And if we fail to judge with humility, we ultimately fail to help our brother or sister. In the church, we relate to one another, not as judge and jury, but in the church, we relate to one another as brother and sister. So the church isn't just like a family. The church is family. We relate to one another as brother and sister. And in the family of God, we judge carefully, full of grace and full of humility, aiming to help and to restore. So ask yourselves in your, in your relationships, which of these three define you? Are you the judge who's harsh and condemning? Quick to judge, rash in judgment of others? The hypocrite? Judging others while excusing yourself? Are you a brother or sister who cares for others, who's willing to evaluate themselves and to walk in humility, seeking to help? See, I think if we are to judge carefully, what we must do is always ask, first and foremost, am I aware of my own need for God? I mean, just as a a baseline, am I aware of my own need for God? How much more helpful is it if you, if you live out your life and you approach others not with an aura of pretense, but with an aura of humility, with a desire to say, I know that I don't have it together. I, I'm not trying to say that I'm the standard. I'm trying to point to one who is. And, and look, I'm in need of this, this information just as much as you. Hey, I know that in that conversation, I did not handle it the way that I should have. I didn't say everything the way that I should have said, and I own my part. But I I want to talk to you about how we can really restore this relationship. That's what humility looks like. That's a right sense of our own need for God. And then we need to ask ourselves, am I seeking to help and restore? So many times we we jump in to the fray, whether it be in our personal relationships or maybe even especially uh, on social media. And we have to ask ourselves, am I seeking to help and restore or am I seeking to stoke and to stir? Help and restore or to stoke and to stir? God calls us to look into the mirror before we pull out the magnifying glass on others. Humble self-evaluation. And the thing about how God works is when we are willing to evaluate ourselves, And we see our need for God. It produces in us a humility that leads to repentance where we know that we don't have it all together. And then in turn, that actually is what enables us to be useful and helpful to others. When we've evaluated ourselves and and are willing to, to repent, to turn away from our pride, to turn away from our own way of thinking. And it produces a humility, the kind of humility that treats others with mercy and with grace. So we need to judge with humility, but also look at verse 6. We need to judge with discernment. It's kind of a a strong uh, contrast, the words that verse 6, the way it describes Jesus' teaching in verse 6 from what we see in verse 5. He says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So we go from the language of brother and sister to this language of dogs and pigs. 
Uh, and in the first century world, dogs were a common reference to, uh, to, to Jewish people to, or to Gentile people. Pigs were associated with Gentiles, not owned by a Jewish person. And this leads some perhaps to think that Jesus is saying what Jesus says in Matthew 10, verses 5 through 6. Jesus said, I first come for the house of Israel. So only go to the house of Israel when he sends his, his disciples out to proclaim the gospel. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, the gospel spreads not only to Israel, but from Israel to the whole world. Some see this perhaps as a, um, a picture of God's redemptive plan coming first to the people of Israel and from Israel to the nations. But, but I think there's, there's possibly a different point that Jesus is making. It seems Jesus is making more, a point more akin to Proverbs 23.9. In Proverbs 23.9 it says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your word. Jesus' reference to dogs and pigs isn't a put-down of a class of people. I think what Jesus is doing is actually characterizing those who are adamantly opposed to his message. It says that they trample it under their feet, which is what the pigs would do. And they attack those who proclaim it, which is what the dogs would turn and do. And so Jesus, when he sent out his disciples... He told them, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. So Jesus is is talking about a, a sense of wise discernment that though we should never prejudge who is willing to hear the things of Jesus, we should also be discerning enough not to force it on those who show no inclination to accept it. Uh, we, we must honestly evaluate and look at, at, at our conversations and our relationships in, what, in such a way that we, we practice discernment. That the, the things of God, the holy things of God, that, that we don't just pound over a person's head, but we, we have a sense of discernment when someone is not willing to accept it. And I think what Jesus is describing here is honestly more of the exception than the rule. I think the first rule of thumb, when we think about discernment, our first inclination should be to pursue people with patient love. But be willing to exercise discernment when they reject and show no inclination to accept it. So judge carefully with humility and with discernment. But Jesus goes on. As we read at the beginning of our service, to say not only must we judge carefully, but if we're not going to be judgmental, we must pray diligently. Look at verses 7 through 11. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus is saying here, uh, in in kind of a two-part way, uh, to persist in prayer in verses 8 through 9. Persist in prayer. Ask, seek, knock. And God will answer. And really in verses, uh, beginning in verse 9 all the way through 11, we see we are to persist in prayer because we have a good and a gracious Heavenly Father. Look what it says. It says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? This last week, uh, two weeks ago now, as we celebrated Halloween, it's always this tempting thing when all the good candy comes into the house, you know, and 
Um, I think about after, you know, my kids go to bed, I partake in, in some candy. I call it the dad tax. You know, you get to, uh, to take some of the good candy. There's part of me, though, that's like, I really want that Reese's or I really want, you know, this particular candy that I know my daughter really likes. And I'm like, she'll never know. She won't have the option. Uh, but should I, you know, what if she asked me, Dad, can I have a Reese's? And instead I'm like, here's a Rolo. You know, like it's not the same. Um, <clears throat> we all know uh, and have experienced the care of another who when we ask them for something, that person that we know we can trust, we go to them and ask them for something. They're not going to turn us away with a stiff arm. You know that tender love of a, of a father, perhaps a mother or some other person in your life when you ask them for what you need, if they have it within their means to provide it, they would do it. How much more is our Heavenly Father like that? When we pray, when we pray diligently, we can pray diligently because we have a good and gracious Father. Let me ask you, if God were to answer all your prayers from this past week, what would the result be? If God were to answer all your prayers from this past week, what would the result be? I want you to think about where verses 7 through 11 occur. They occur in between what Jesus says about not being judgmental in verses 1 through 6. And then they, uh, on the back end, verse 12, which is the golden rule. Treat others as you would have them treat you. This could stand on its own as a teaching on prayer. And I think Jesus often teaches on prayer. We've already seen him teach on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6. <clears throat> But I don't think it's an accident that occurs here because I think what, what Jesus is showing us in order to not be judgmental, in order in a minute to, to see how the golden rule works itself out in our life to love freely. If we're going to be people like this, we have to be people who are dependent on God. People who pray diligently. There, there, there shouldn't be a disconnect between the way we treat people and the way we talk to God or the way we talk about or to people and the way we talk to God. If you think about it like this, gossip is when we talk to others, we talk about someone to others. Resentment is when we talk to ourselves about others, often brewing and allowing it to build up in our hearts. But prayer is when we talk to God about our problems, even when people are the problem. That's what we need more than anything else, is to talk to God. I came across an article on BuzzFeed uh, that uh, was entitled, basically, how um, 10 tips for any judgmental person who said, oh, why am I like this? That was the title. Uh, why am I like this? How do I get over my judgmentalism? And the tips were um, <clears throat> a number of different ones, just to highlight a few. It said, if you're ready to leave behind your judgmental ways, uh, follow the advice of these experts. So if you're judging yourself, use a breath-centric affirmation to calm your inner critic. On your inhale, internally recite, I am. And on your exhale, recite, enough. Repeat as needed. Um, so turn inward to look at yourself, perhaps, as a way to get over your judgmentalism. Or take a whiff of an essential oil. I believe lavender and uh, chamomile uh, will do the trick. <clears throat> Don't get me wrong. I'm not against essential oils. <clears throat> Offer yourself some compassion, they say. When you feel guilty for judging others, remind yourself that all of us judge. That you're not a terrible person. To be fair, there's a number of good, helpful suggestions in this article. But, but here's what it reminded me. 
of too often when we face problems, we look for solutions in ourselves. We look for solutions that are found in some technique out there. If I just do this, if I get this right, then it'll fix this. And, and no doubt, perhaps there are things that we can do that, that certainly help us navigate our relationships. But the number one thing we must do when we face problems, especially in our relationship, is to go to God. To go to God. It's communion with God through prayer that's the answer to our problems. Not something inside of us or some technique that's out there, but a Heavenly Father who's up there, who hears and sees us as his children. So I asked you, if God answered all your prayers this week, what would the result be? Would you be any more humble? Any more patient, loving, forgiving? Would any relationships in your life be restored? Would any friendships be stronger? Any marriages stronger? Would any, anybody have come to faith in Christ this week if all our prayers had been answered? As, as we have this call to prayer, we also have this assurance that whatever we bring to God that is good for us spiritually, anything, God says, whatever we bring to Him, if we keep asking Him for it, He will grant it. That's the thing. We pray according to God's will, not, a, not according to our own. We're, we're not just seeking our own desires in prayer, but we're seeking in our prayers to bring all of our desires under God's will. When we pray according to God's will for, for the spiritual good of ourselves and for others, we can keep asking, keep laboring for it. And God intends to hear us and answer us. This is, doesn't mean that it's a blank check that you just ask it and God will give it. But we have this assurance that God hears and answers prayer. Have you persisted in prayer to see God answer prayer? That's the call. Persist in prayer because we have a heavenly father. Pray, pray that we would be united in Christ. Pray that we would be quick to welcome others. Pray that we would be slow to judge. Pray that we would be faithful to the gospel. Pray that, that we would declare and display the gospel with our lives in all that we do. There's an old uh, hymn from John Newton, wrote Amazing Grace, who says it best. He says, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. Never can we ask too much. Come to him and pray diligently. And as a side note, it's pretty hard to be judgmental of others when you're praying for others. Pray diligently. And then verse 12 sums it all up and says, love freely. Love freely. Verse 12 is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. This kind of statement was well known in the ancient world. In fact, Confucius said, do not to others what you would not wish done to yourself. It's kind of said less in the positive sense and more in the negative sense. So if you don't want somebody to do something to you, don't do it to them. This is similar to what one of the Jewish rabbis in the first century said, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law and all the rest is only commentary. Jesus' emphasis is different though. And when you think about it, it's actually a pretty profound difference. To say, um, do not do to others what you hate, 
Or if you would hate something, don't do that to somebody else. Basically, that means like if you don't want to be robbed, don't rob anybody. You know, if if you don't want people to be mean to you, don't be mean to you, mean to other people. But Jesus says something different. He says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What you would have people do to you is to love you, to welcome you, to be kind to you. Jesus says, do that to others. Do that to others. It takes the standard higher. It reveals our need for God to enable us to love like this. This is what Jesus said was the the greatest of commandments coupled with to love God. In fact, I think that's the most profound thing here. Jesus says that the golden rule to do unto others as you would have them do unto you sums up the law and the prophets. Really? Like all of that summed up in this? I think we have to understand it in light of what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Somebody approached Jesus and they said, what's the greatest commandment in the law in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus shows us that we can't truly love others without loving God. These two things are wed together. Nor can we say we love others if we fail to love God. Those two things come together. The golden rule isn't so much a rule, but I would say it's a vision for what life in the kingdom of God looks like. What life looks like for God's people, freed up by love for God, To love others freely. See, I think the cure for our judgmentalism is to know the love of God. The cure for our judgmentalism is to know the love of God. To love our neighbors as ourself is first and foremost to know the love of God. To have experienced that love that changes a heart of stone into a heart of flesh that seeks to love God in return. And when you love God, when you recognize your need for Him and His provision for you, it frees you from being judge and jury. It frees you from being the one who has to sit as judge over others. And it allows God to be the rightful judge who sits on the throne of our lives and over all people. And in turn, when we are freed from judgmentalism, we can be freed up to love and to serve others. That's the beauty of the Christian life. You see, the love of God does two things. It welcomes sinners home. Those who are religious and irreligious. Those who think they can get to God on their own morality as well as those who think they have no need for God. See, Jesus says that it's not those who are bad or good that get in. It's not those who are so self-aware and open-minded that they don't judge others that get in. No, those who get in the kingdom of God are those who are humble. Those who know that they're not good enough. Those who know that it doesn't matter uh, if um, they are open-minded. But first and foremost, they know that they need God. And that they trust that God has provided what's needed for us through His love. The love of God welcomes sinners home, sinners like me, sinners like you, home into the family of God. But then it also, it changes 
and, and, and cultivates a devotion in the hearts of God's children. When we know the love of God, it changes us. It changes us to be wholeheartedly devoted to Him. That we look at our relationships and, 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 all, that's, and all the people that are around us through the eyes of God. Through the lens of God's love. So we're, we're slow to speak. We're, we're slow to judge. We're, we're quick to love. We, we apply the truth of 1 Corinthians 13 so often uh, to, to marriages and, um, and perhaps to uh, special occasions in our life. But what if we applied this truth of love to our church life, to our relationships? What if we allowed our love, because we've experienced the love of God, to be shown to others in a way that's patient and kind? That does not envy or boast. That is not arrogant or rude. That does not insist on its own way. That's not irritable and resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't gloat over the fall of others, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, the answer to... How not to be judgmental is to know the love of God. And if we are a church that knows and experiences and dispenses the love of God, what might God do through us? What if we were not defined by being a judgmental people, but by a loving people who know God as judge so that we are freed up to judge with wisdom and discernment, to pray diligently over all our relationships, and to love freely. What a beautiful picture of a Savior who loved us in the same way. Let's pray.